So we're thinking about Jesus moving on, aren't we? We're linking from the story, uh, the, the, the recount, the account, the well-loved part of the Christmas story, and we're now getting a bit more to the nitty-gritty of God living among us. And so we're looking now at how that, um, that was started, really, the, the public ministry of Jesus. So we have a sort of section which is, I've thought of as forgiveness plus and um, how the God of justice and power is speaking. So John the Baptist has been very busy indeed providing a baptism of washing indicating forgiveness. Okay, now I don't know whether you remember, we had a baptism not so very long ago and um, some of us were sitting down afterwards remembering uh, what happened at our personal baptisms. Where were we? We could have been outside, uh, it could have been beside the sea or in the sea, um, the local Baptist church. Three different continents were represented by those of us who were having this conversation. And we remembered the people who were baptised with us. A group of 30 at least, two other friends, the rest of the youth group. My goodness. I wonder what comes to mind for you as you remember your baptism. Is it that sense of boat burning? Yes, I really intend to follow Jesus. No turning back. So here is Jesus. But John recognizes Jesus, his cousin, as he came face to face with Jesus. And he thought, you don't need baptism for forgiveness. Jesus, I know about you. They were cousins. Cousins tend to know about each other, don't they? I've got a cousin called Duncan. We rarely meet, but we have in common. We're both eldest children. Um, we have status, therefore. Um, I know some hair-raising stories about him. Um, for once, he was a climber. Well, he still is, presumably, though I haven't seen him for a bit. Um, when he was very young, about five, he climbed to check the water level in the water tower. Um, you know, it, it's somewhere in Nigeria. Um, then when he came home and they shared a, his family shared a home with us, um, he shinned up the maypole. No, we didn't need to get the maypole down. He'd climb it and sort out the tangle, the chaos generated by the first try at maypole dancing. And he was all of eight then. And then he went on to do the tall ships race and climbing up the rigging, you know, and then diving in to pull a friend out of the, the sea. Well, you know, these are stories I know about my cousin. And my conclusion is that my cousin is strong and brave. So how much more did John know about his cousin Jesus? Their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, shared confidences through all the events of Christmas that we've been looking at. The births of John and Jesus were momentous. News would have been passed on over the next 30 years, even if they didn't meet very often in a in a place where walking was your best means of getting between places rather than jetting off across the world. And we have arrived at the moment where Jesus is requesting baptism. And John knew that Jesus did not need the baptism for the forgiveness of sins that John was offering to the penitent. So John and Jesus have a conversation John is shocked and says so. I need to be baptised by you. And you're asking me? What is going on here? 
So Jesus gives them a reply. He says along the lines of, well, right now, I'm about to begin my public ministry, so it's good that by means of baptism, I reaffirm my resolution to take away the sin of the world, the bit that I've been given by God to do as I've come to this world. You baptizing me, so John baptizing Jesus, is showing that baptism is the indicator of that commitment, that wholesale devotion. You're agreeing to a righteous, a right request, a correct procedure. At least that is how the commentator, who's called Hendrickson, enlarged the conversation. And you can see it rings true in the words that we've been saying, to fulfill all righteousness is how, how it's put. So as Jesus is baptized, God speaks to introduce his son. And he says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Something much more than a mere product launch or an endorsement by a celebrity. Jesus is revealed to the world. We've also got baptism as a picture of the death to sin and the resurrection to new life in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, represented by the dove. But we'll go back to that a bit later. Here we see the integrity, the working together in harmony of the Trinity. God the Father, speaking from heaven. God the Son, baptism, done. God the Holy Spirit, alighting on him. So, there is Jesus, ready for work. And so we have the sonship proclaimed and given to us. And the second part of, of the sermon is looking at what a servant does, how a servant gets to work. So Jesus has got work to do. He's called to be a servant. And we have a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament that gives us markers as to what Jesus is going to be doing. Okay. So... What you have to do, think about, is a bit of the context, in a way. Um, you open the scroll in Jesus' time, um, and anyone who went along to synagogue on a Saturday at the time of Jesus, and even now, will be familiar how the scroll is brought with ceremony to be read for each service. This is the word of the Lord. Take it, read it, mark it, and inwardly I digest it. We turn the pages of a book, don't we? We turn the pages of the Bible this morning. We're darting from place to place in the Bible. Um, and we could well be a bit selective about what we read. But a scroll has to be read as it's unrolled. And each time a marker is left at the place each time, ready for the next reader at the next service. So Isaiah 42, which is where what we're going to look at comes from now, is a bit before Isaiah 61, which Jesus was later that year to read in synagogue in Nazareth. But he also deals with the prophecy of the Messiah, the chosen one, as a servant. As we read, think out what is very similar to what you expect a servant to do. So the first sentence will take us right straight to the words of God at Jesus' baptism. It's Isaiah 42, and Sue is going to read it to us in a minute. And it begins, Here is my servant 
whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Well, you can see immediately, flashing of lights, this prophecy must be about Jesus. Thank you, Sue. Isaiah 42, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff, off, uh, snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from, from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Say, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Thank you very much. Okay, so I don't know whether you noticed how Jesus might have fulfilled some of these expectations. Um, do you think the prophet Isaiah had got the whole meaning of what Jesus was going to do in what he wrote? So I'm just going to have a little look at this to unpick it a little bit more in the next section of our sermon, which I'm thinking of as servant and work. So um, we're going to look first of all at verses 1 and 2 from the Isaiah 42. And this one takes us, doesn't it, to those words that God spoke. So we know there's a link somewhere between God the servant God's servant who will set everything right and the words that God spoke and the Holy Spirit speaking there. So what we have in this section is something which I think is really very wonderful. Um, if you again look at it, you can see I put my spirit on him. I've bathed him with my spirit, my life. So this is somebody who is God, bathed with the spirit, God's life. And he will set everything right among the nations. He's not done that bit yet, has he? But there's the sense of being set right with God, which is available to everybody in that world, in our world. Thank you. So that's the first, first bit I wanted to pick out. The second bit um, is all about justice on earth. Right. 
Yeah, I've picked the wrong bit, haven't I? I'm so sorry, because what I was going to pick out particularly was probably verse 3. He won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt, and he won't disregard the small and insignificant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. So, yes, establishing justice, he'll steadily and slowly set things right. But there's the bit just before in verse 3, which I didn't pick, which was really naughty of me. I should have got it right. Um, Jesus, the servant, is not going to brush aside the bruised and the hurt. He's not going to disregard the small and insignificant. And he's going to set things right. So he's not going to snuff us out. He's going to establish justice. So what I've just used is what the message had to say about how it interpreted these words. So it's not totally, the message is, a, a, you know, is, a, is an up-to-date but not a totally complete translation, but it does give us that sense of Jesus came to sort out injustices. He came for the bruised, the hurt, the small, the insignificant, us. We belong here, don't we? And in our lives, if not yet the whole world, he is steadily and firmly, as we allow him, setting things right. If we look now at the third bit, which I think I've got the right meaning, the one bit here. Okay. So what we've got here, then, is the God who makes us alive with his own life. We're called to righteousness. We're Jesus was called to righteousness. His hand will be kept. There will be a covenant and a light for Gentiles. And there will be, in the next one, the light for the Gentiles is now the work that we see Jesus doing, don't we? To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, that could be taken very literally, couldn't it? You know? But did Jesus actually go and storm prisons? No. I mean, an angel did let Peter out of prison when he was captured. But no, this is something else. That uh, as I have sort of got a bit of a glimpse, but he doesn't quite know what he's talking about here, does he? He doesn't understand that Jesus is coming to free us from darkness. He's going to be the light for those who sit in darkness. So to make a start, the message says, at bringing people into the open, into light, opening blind eyes, releasing prisoners from dungeons, and emptying the dark prisons. The work that Jesus, as the servant was going to do, was to be among the most lowly citizens, the most ordinary of people, but to show them that there was so much more in God's promise to them of a new life. It makes us think, doesn't it? So how do we fit in with all of that? There's Jesus on his mission, showing what God is like and doing the ultimate in sacrifice 
and resurrection power. And this is where we get to the dove in our story, our piece that we have looked at, our, our account of something that happened truly in the life of Jesus. We have the dove in the picture as God speaks. The Holy Spirit empowering Jesus with strength to fulfill his mission and to complete it up to and including his death, the resurrection, and being taken back into heaven. The whole thing, the Holy Spirit is there for him. God's call on his life, God the Father's call on his life, and the Holy Spirit, the power that he has. But the dove is also a symbol of peace. And I was thinking about peace in the context of being a servant. Um, a servant doesn't complete his tasks by arguing all the time. Right? He doesn't go on a war hunt. Instead, he submits to orders. That's the whole point of a servant. And this is what Jesus was doing as he came to earth. He was following the instructions of God the Father. Jesus is accepting God's purpose for him and is going to be getting on with the task. This is the significance of the baptism for him. And as well as that, the dove is a symbol of purity, white, you know? So John has already emphasized that Jesus is the perfect son of God. So here we have Jesus, ready for mission, called, given strength, given peace in his allocation for his job as servant. So where does that leaves us, leave us? It could be that we're at a point where we're picking up the resolve which baptism cements in us. We're doing our very best to act in ways which are honouring to God's call. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We're forgiven followers of Jesus, and that gives us the Holy Spirit. So, as we pick up what God calls us to do as servants in his world, how do we go about the task? We are often saddened to see headlong consumerism surrounding Christmas, all that tinsel. We're sad to see injustice and me first, the trend in our society. And we sometimes weep when we see people we know heading down a destructive path. All around us, we are aware of weakness, argument, and sometimes pure evil, the complete opposite of the strength of the Holy Spirit and the peace the Spirit brings. At the cross, people are delivered from the penalty and power of sin, and broken lives are made whole. Jesus, as the servant, embodies that grace and truth. We have the integrity and harmony in the spirit, in the Trinity. And as we work together, we're given some of that integrity, aren't we, as well? We're called to act in the same way, with integrity and truth. Preaching the gospel, but sometimes with words. By our lives, as well as what we say. Faithfully following the Lord Jesus in all aspects of our lives. Do you remember... There used to be a sort of band that you could wear on your arm, like when you went to a festival, and it said, what would Jesus do? Remember that? Yeah, some of you will. Um, and that's, that's the point, isn't it, really? We're looking in our lives. 
We're given people, we meet them, we do jobs with them, we have young and old to care for. And all the time we have behind what we are doing, what would Jesus do in this context? And this is where we are encouraged by, and renewed by the extraordinary news of God's gift to us this Christmas. Because we can surely and confidently look to 2023, hopeful for the future, grateful to God that he insists on making us known, himself known in the gritty reality of our ordinary but precious lives. And that gets me to a point where the same words that were spoken at the start of our service, the same words in a slightly different order which were spoken to Jesus, are picked up by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. And I found it on a scrap of paper as I was putting the sermon notes away. And it said, make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. And that just about sums up what Jesus was up to, which was as he was introduced by God the Father, as God the Son, the servant for us. Now we pick up that mantle and our aim is to be well-pleasing to the Lord Jesus. And don't forget that the psalm that we read also ended, the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace. We are not left on our own to struggle with the way life is. Our aim is to please him, but he is with us whatever we are up to. Thank you for listening. And I hope some of that will have helped you. We're now going to turn to